The Stone Zone with legendary Republican strategist and political icon and pundit Roger Stone. Stone has served as a senior campaign aide to three Republican presidents. He is a New York Times bestselling author and a longtime friend and advisor of President Donald Roger Trump. Stone. As an outspoken libertarian, Stone has appeared on thousands of broadcasts, spoken at countless venues, and lectured before the prestigious Oxford Political Union and the Cambridge Union Society. Due to his four-plus decades in the political and cultural arena, Stone has become a pop culture icon. And now, here's your host, Roger Stone. Welcome. I'm Roger Stone, and yes, you are back in the Stone Zone. Despite the fact that Nevada will have its delegate selection caucuses on Thursday, and the fact that President Donald Trump who pulled out to a substantial lead in the most recent NBC poll, a lead over Joe Biden, is heading to South Carolina and will do no less than 10 campaign events between now and the Palmetto State's Republican primary, uh, the news politically continues to be dominated by the Open Borders Bill put forward by Senator Chuck Schumer uh, and James Lankford, rhino uh, of Oklahoma. Now, there's a certain irony, there's a rundown on this disastrous bill, wherein now what is really a war of definitions, as the left tries to tell us what the bill would do and attack Republicans for, quote unquote, not wanting to do anything about the border to keep it alive as a campaign issue. Uh, joining me to break down uh, this whirlwind uh, is Troy Smith, the editor-at-large at Rare.us. Troy, welcome back to the Stone Zone. Roger, it's, a, it's an honor to be here, and uh, I think it's uh, great that we had that graphic there of this bill just to give people an idea of how bad this thing uh, really is for the country. Can't wait to break this down and get into the details today. Well, first of all, Troy, let me express my condolences. I know... Uh, you had no choice to, but to put down your family dog of 12 years. Uh, as a dog lover, I know how extraordinarily painful and difficult that is. You told me this morning uh, that the poor baby was blind and suffering. So I, it's still very hard. So condolences on that. Now, thank you very much, Roger. I think everybody, uh, you know, everybody knows what it's like to lose a pet at this point. And, uh, and, and I appreciate that very much. My family thanks you. The, as you know, they're, they're like your children. It's very painful. Mrs. Stone and I have had no less than nine Yorkshire Terriers. And frankly, we look forward to being reunited with all of them in heaven because all dogs go to heaven. All right, let's, let's get into this. Uh, it, it's really quite extraordinary as we see a scramble to define uh, both on the left and right what this is about. Uh, this is not a border security bill. It's an open borders bill. It is indisputable uh, that it would allow five illegal, 5,000 illegal immigrants, illegal migrants uh, in the country per day. That's 155,000 per month. That adds up to 1.8 million a year. Uh, if this bill were to become law, which now looks extremely, extremely unlikely, the next president, President Donald Trump, would have no choice but to admit 2 million illegals a year, contrary 
to the previous policies under his administration, in which, as you know, illegal border crossings had really dropped off to almost nothing. Now, uh, to set the stage for this, I think it's very important to recognize the shift in Biden's rhetoric. So Secretary of Homeland Security Mayorkas, who is the subject uh, of an impeachment attempt by House Republicans, uh, and the president's own spokeswoman, Jean-Pierre, whatever her name is, have insisted repeatedly that the border is secure until about 10 days ago when Joe Biden suddenly said, no, the border is not secure. I've been saying that for years, which, of course, he hasn't been. Now he's saying, I would like to seal the border, but the Republicans won't give me the tools, pointing to this bill. Well, this bill does not seal the border in any way, shape, or form, but more importantly, tucked into this, while there may be uh, very substantial funding for the processing of the 2 million illegals who would be allowed into the country, there's, there's $60 billion tucked in there for Ukraine. This is really a open borders, uh, refund the war in Ukraine bill. Uh, and uh, I think it is dead on arrival uh, in the House. What say you? Well, uh, Roger, uh, we released a report yesterday, uh, a report that I, I think uh, people could check out on rare.us. And it talks about Mike Johnson basically stating that this bill is dead on arrival. I mean, this bill is is dead. And I think it's important for people to understand that this is the bait and switch that, that occurs in Washington, D.C. President Trump had all the tools at his hands uh, to, uh, to, to stop uh, the massive border crossings that were happening, and he did so. And, and he handed Joe Biden the most secure border in the history of our country. And in return, Biden revoked policies. And I think the most important part of this, Roger, people have to remember, remain in Mexico. It was one of the greatest uh, deals ever made in the history of this country as it pertains to immigration reform. We made a deal with the country of Mexico that people coming into this country or that wanted to come in this country would remain in Mexico until we were we approved them, meaning that they didn't get free access into the country. And what Joe Biden did, he comes in and he institutes catch and release. And with catch and release, they get a free run into the country. They get a court date, sometimes 10 years in the future that they never show up to anyway. Um, and they're just free to run in, into the United States. Joe Biden caused all these problems. And now he says, well, you have to give me the power in order for me to fix it. So he artificially creates the issue. And now he says, now we need a new law. And the new law, Rogers, you pointed out, basically restricts the president from having the ability to, to deal with this and, and would force the next president to welcome in millions of migrants into this country per year. That is the Democrat bait and switch. Um, and as we get into this, Roger, I, I think it's important that we talk about where this bill came from. So I saw an update on this, uh, you know, just just this morning. I'm talking about a Senator Langford. I'd like you to get into his. He's kind of the father of this bill, and I'd like you to get into what what you think his involvement in this and 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 going forward. Because I saw this morning that he's not even going to be supporting his own bill, and that McConnell is telling people to vote against it. Um, it's just it's an absolute dumpster fire, and it shows, Roger, real quickly. It shows exactly what the Republican Party was doing before Trump. It shows what the Republican Party plans to do after Trump. No action. They can't even get a bill together that benefits the American people. I mean, it's, it's really sick. It's really sick. What do these people do, Roger? Why do they even make money? Or why do they collect a salary? They don't do anything for us. Uh, we've got an actually a pretty good video clip of President Trump himself addressing this question. Let's roll that. 
This is not possible to believe that a thing like this could happen. Uh, it, it, you already have. You don't need a bill. I had the safest border in the history of our country. We had no bill. I just said, close the border. It's closed. Then I went to Mexico. I negotiated with Mexico. Yeah. They gave us 28,000 troops. They gave us a lot of other things. Stay in Mexico. Remain. We called it remain in Mexico. They gave us that. Uh, I think Trump has, uh, has said it there loud and clear, but you can already see the position in Greg Sargent of the New Republic. Now, to be clear, anything written in the New Republic is overwhelmingly likely to be completely false or inaccurate, saying that it's the Republicans who want to keep this alive as an issue, as if passage of this bill would stop the flow of illegals into the country, which it would not. So the fentanyl crisis would continue. The crime spike would continue. The danger to Americans would continue. The hemorrhaging of money by states and cities and counties struggling to pay for social services for illegal migrants instead of American citizens would continue. That's why the mayors of Boston and Chicago and New York, who are all leftists, who used to be proud about being sanctuary cities, are now saying this is sustainable. Last night, I saw Al Sharpton of all people on MSNBC saying that we have a crisis at the border. We're watching all these illegals pass. Something must be done about it. When Sharpen's cause calling for a solution, you know you have a, a serious problem. But let's, let's go right into your question. Senator James Lankford, uh, who uh, holds himself out to be a conservative, who ran in the 2022 Republican primary, challenged uh, by Pastor Jackson Lawmeyer, ran in that race as a border hawk. He actually made a visit to the border during the primary campaign uh, and used it as a photo op. Now, during that campaign, Langford really would not open himself up to many questions from the press or from the voters. He ran a, basically a media campaign, spending tens of millions of dollars in special interest campaign funds, plus a big transfer from Mitch McConnell. That way, he didn't have to actually go out and meet with voters, and he didn't have to answer hard questions. One of the issues he doesn't want to ask hard questions about uh, is his past uh, running a Christian summer camp for children called Falls Creek. Uh, we know from an AP story uh, that during a lawsuit uh, against Falls Creek and against the pastor regarding uh, child sex abuse, that he actually said that, in his opinion, uh, 13 years old uh, was the age of consent for, uh, a, a, for a child to have sex. Uh, you can see why he doesn't want to answer any more questions about his leadership at, at Falls Creek. Now, there's also a false claim here, uh, really pushed by Rolling Stone. Again, anything in Rolling Stone is suspect to begin with, saying that Donald Trump is lying about endorsing Jackson, uh, pardon me, endor endorsing uh, James Langford. Let, let's be very clear. James Langford literally begged Donald Trump for an endorsement in the June 2022 Republican U.S. Senate primary. Uh, in fact, uh, did so on multiple occasions. Lankford did not receive a presidential endorsement 
from uh, from uh, Donald Trump during uh, that contentious and uh, uh, competitive primary, Trump specifically sat the primary out. That was despite massive past pressure from Mitch McConnell and Senator Rick Scott, who headed the Senatorial Republican Campaign Committee, to endorse Lankford, plus a personal plea from Lankford himself. Uh, so Rolling Stone is technically wrong, although uh, it is true that in the general election against the Democrat, uh, when James Lankford was home free, uh, President Donald Trump issued a pro forma endorsement. So um, there's a lot of talk about this uh, on the net today. Uh, some have accused Trump of lying. He's not lying. The only contest was in the primary, uh, and despite his best efforts, Langford uh, was not endorsed. Well, and and Roger, it's important to note that you know President Trump has been talking about this bill quite a bit. He's been talking about his handling of the border, and uh, you know we're talking about a Republican primary where really two remain, and Nikki Haley is the other one. I think uh, I think I, I I read something that said that Nikki Haley was actually supporting uh, this, and I wanted to ask you about that, Roger. I, is Nikki Haley supporting this bill? For, this is a, from, this, from Langford? this is truly a political death witch. So yesterday. Yeah. Uh, Nikki Haley, uh, at the same time the U.S. Republican Senate caucus was bailing out against this bill, McConnell announced that he uh, that uh, he would oppose it. Uh, it is now expected that Langford will oppose his own bill after trying desperately to argue uh, that the bill doesn't say what he what it says. I love this. It's like, don't read what the bill says. Believe what I tell you is in it. No, we've read the bill. This is this is an open borders bill that allows uh, illegal crossings at 5,000 a day. Uh, that's 155,000 a month. That's 1.8 million a year. That's just a, a fact, an inconvenient fact for Senator Langford. Uh, and then uh, additionally, out of the blue, Nikki Haley, showing her true colors, uh, endorses the bill. This is a death wish that will not sit well with voters uh, in the upcoming South Carolina primary. Now, in South Carolina, anybody of any party can vote in the primary, meaning it doesn't matter whether you're a Republican or whether you're a, a, an unaffiliate, what we call an independent, or whether you're a Democrat. The Democrats had their primary, uh, and uh, it was yesterday, I believe, uh, and they had a spectacularly low turnout. Now, Joe Biden won. He won overwhelmingly, but nobody turned out. First of all, that is a demonstration of extremely low enthusiasm for Joe Biden's candidacy. I think he got like 97% of the vote, but the vote was anemic. What does that mean? Well, one of the things it means is that there are a bunch of liberal Democrats holding back to invade the Republican primary to vote for Nikki Haley. We saw something very similar uh, in New Hampshire, where in violation of the law, uh, independents were allowed to vote in the Republican primary. While New Hampshire law does allow that, it first requires uh, an affirmative vote, approval essentially, of the New Hampshire Republican State Committee, a vote that was never taken, permission that was never granted. Nonetheless, uh, Governor Chris Sununu, who was on with, uh, I think it was Bill Maher the other day, kept insisting like a madman that Nikki Haley is still going to get nominated, of which I think there is zero prospect. 
uh, and $38 million in special interest cash, mostly from Democrats and left-wing special interest groups, still got Nikki Haley beat by double digits uh, by President Donald Trump. If there was any state where he had any vulnerability, or at least the dynamics in which he might have been damaged, uh, he ran a brilliant, hardworking campaign, and he won uh, overwhelmingly. Nikki Haley, in my opinion, has uh, really uh, stepped on a landmine here. Langford, if you know James Langford, then none of this would really be surprising. Great website, realjameslangford.com, uh, will tell you who he really is. Uh, he viciously attacked uh, President Donald Trump in 2016 when he was running. He refused to endorse him. He still has not endorsed him. Uh, this, uh, this is an eye-opening website. I urge people to check it out. Uh, way back in 2018, Lankford admitted to trying to do an amnesty deal uh, behind the scenes uh, for illegals. Let, let's roll that clip. One area uh, that you have been working on uh, with colleagues across the aisle, I understand, is immigration. Right. And there has been a very uh, difficult debate going on in the House of Representatives, something of a revolt among more moderate Republicans and, you know, n even conservative Republicans who think that there should be a solution uh, for the DACA kids. Are you working on anything here in the Senate to try to address this problem before the end of the year? I am. Uh, there's a group of us that are meeting quietly to try to see if we can find common ground. At the end of February, it was no grand secret that it was an epic failure of the Senate to be able to pass any one of four bills that were put forward. All four of them had bipartisan support from different individuals in different amounts, but all four of them had bipartisan support. Typically, you'd have the four bills come up, they would all fail, and then the next week, you would try to blend those four together into one and to get it done. What happened instead was the court stepped in and said that they're going to put a hold on all the process and nothing can change on DACA until they make a decision. And so the Senate just walked away. It took the no pressure time. off. That's right. The pressure was off. There was no timeline anymore. Well, I, I think there still is a timeline. We just don't know what the date is. At some point, the court's going to rule, and I think the court will rule in the president's favor. Uh, not because I'm a Republican, but because I believe that one executive can change the actions of a previous executive, just like a future president can change the actions of President Trump if it's an executive order. Uh, that, that, that's just basic uh, governance. Do you think that whatever you're working on will have to include a path to citizenship for dreamers? I do. I've been pretty outspoken on that. Uh, for uh, even last September, um, Senator Tillis and I both put out a proposal to get citizenship uh, for those individuals that are in the DACA program or were eligible uh, for the DACA program because we've got a group that was in the DACA program, but we've got a group that never signed up, never went through the paperwork for whatever reason that were eligible for it. We'd like to, those individuals to be able to have access to citizenship as well. Now, we've got to deal with border security. There are reasonable ways to be able to do that that have been talked about for a long time. A wall? Would you give the president his wall in this? I would because most of the areas, it's not really a wall. We can cut. Okay. I think we got the flavor of that. Folks, by the way, uh, coming up uh, is author uh, and patriot Alex Newman talk about his new book, uh, Indoctrinating Our Children to Death, uh, Public Schools, the War on Faith, Family, and Freedom. You're going to want to definitely stand by for that. Uh, and then Troy Smith and I are going to return uh, after that interview with a little more political uh, analysis. Langford um, now admits uh, that his amnesty bill, which is what I call it, would actually allow Biden to reopen the border at Biden's discretion. Let's take a look. Also, uh, there's some text in there that says the president does have some discretion to open up the border after it's shut down uh, and 
and not go by these rules. Is that true? So, it, again, we're back to the crazy details of this of people that are throwing stuff in there just trying to be able to attack a proposal that actually closes the border down. Yes, there's a discretionary piece on this, but it's a mandatory close down. They've got 275 days in the next year that has to be closed down. There is some discretion for the president to be able to reopen it, 45 of those. If we have something like a hurricane come through Central America, something like that, where we're trying to be able to manage a natural disaster. Uh, it's uh, James Langford's ability to lie with a straight face shows you why he's been so incredibly successful uh, in politics. It's really quite something. Now, however, uh, Chuck Schumer, who is Langford's partner in this open borders amnesty bill, uh, is trying to use scare tactics because their real interest here is not anything having to do with the border. It's shipping 60 billion more to Ukraine. Uh, let's take a look at uh, Chuck Schumer. You've said that you worked very closely with Leader McConnell on this, this bill, now that we see what's in it, seems to be as bipartisan as it gets. Why wouldn't this, why wouldn't both sides really want this to go through? Well, it's a great question, Mika. Look, it took a long time, four months of arduous negotiations. They fell off the tracks a whole bunch of times. I had to be on the phone even at midnight saying, we've got to keep going. Why? We're at a turning point in America. This bill is crucial, and history will look back on it and say, did America fail itself? Why is it crucial? Well, if we don't aid uh, Ukraine, Putin will be walk all over Ukraine. We will lose the war, and we could be fighting in Eastern Europe in a NATO ally in a few years. Americans won't like that. If we don't help Israel defend itself against Hamas, that perpetual war will go on and on and on. If we don't help humanitarian aid to the starving Palestinians in Gaza, hundreds of thousands could starve. And the border, everyone has said it's chaos. A speaker, you just saw Speaker Johnson, he said it's mm -hmm. chaos, we have to do something legislative a few months ago. But what has happened, in answer your, to que your question, so this is crucial for America, it's a turning point. History is going to look over our shoulders and say, did we rise to the occasion? To his credit, Mitch McConnell did. But too many Republicans, yeah. including Speaker Johnson, are just scared to death of Donald Trump. Donald Trump has said he wants chaos. Donald Trump has said, well, wait till I become president. That'll take at least a year. Ukraine could be gone. The border will get much worse. War in the Middle East will get worse, maybe bring, bringing, bringing us into it. He's doing it all for political reasons. And let me just say... Will senators, the crucial question, the $64,000 question, the majority of Republican senators know this bill is the right thing to do. It's a compromise. I don't like everything in it. Neither does McConnell. But it's a compromise. That's the only way you get things important done in the Senate. We proved that two years ago in our bipartisan legislation. And will the senators drown out the political noise from Trump and his minions and do the mm -hmm. right thing for America. It's a crucial question. History will, is looking down on every one of us right now. Uh, another congenital liar. This bill will not seal the border. And I've got bad news for Chuck Schumer. The war in Ukraine is lost. Sending them $62 billion, much of which will be looted, as we know, is not going to change those dynamics whatsoever. Also, this continued repetition that the Russians are going to invade other native nations. Uh, 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 Nikki Haley keeps saying this over and over again. Putin has said that he will go into Poland. and He's never said that. They've never said that. It's yet another scare tactic. Uh, 
Well, let's do this. When you have uh, our friend uh, Alex Newman online, uh, we're ready to go to him because I do want to talk about his great bill. Are we ready? Great. All right. Uh, we're going to depart from this uh, discussion uh, of politics. Uh, then we'll come back to it. Uh, Alex Newman uh, is a uh, patriot. Uh, he is uh, uh, the host of his own show. Uh, and uh, he also serves as a contributor to World Net Daily. Uh, and he has written a terrific uh, new book uh, entitled Indoctrinating Our Children to Death, Public Schools, uh, actually Government Schools, The War on Faith, Family and Freedom. My good friend, uh, Alex Newman, joins us now in the Stone Zone. Great to be here. Thank you so much for having me, Roger. Uh, Alex, uh, people can find you at LibertySentinel.org. You also do a lively daily show, usually on just before mine, although things have moved around. I urge folks to go check out everything uh, Alex uh, Newman does. Uh, he uh, and his family uh, are great patriots and very good friends uh, of mine. You, uh, Alex, are a truth teller. You you, nobody I know really articulates some of the dangers that we're facing today. Uh, you're also a devout Christian, uh, so you also recognize, as I do, that God wins in the end. But tell us about this extraordinary book uh, and uh, why you wrote it, uh, what it tells us, and well, how people can get it. Well, thank you so much, Roger. And I, I was listening to you talk about the political chaos, the lies that were being fed. And, and I would argue that it really all goes back to what's happening in the government schools. And you look at the dumbing down, you look at the indoctrination, you look at now the, the sexualization that's been going on for at least three generations. And, and what we have here is a crisis. Our, our children are being turned against God, against their country, against their families. Uh, and this was a very deliberate process, right? And so, so one of the things that I do in the book, I go through the history of the people who created this system. There, there's this kind of misconception out there among conservatives and liberals and, and people across the political spectrum that there was this golden age of public schools, and now uh, something happened and we don't like it and we want to go back to that golden age. But what I show in the book is that the people who created this system, starting with Robert Owen, the socialist in the early 1800s, followed by Horace Mann, who imported the Prussian system that was based on on Robert Owen's ramblings, uh, all the way through John Dewey, the architect of the modern system that we have today, and people can see him on the screen right there. Every single one of these men had as a clear agenda to get the Bible out of the culture, to turn Americans away from the truths that the Bible shows, and to fundamentally transform the nation, to borrow a term from Barack Obama. Uh, and obviously, they couldn't do it all in one go. In fact, John Dewey himself, in an essay that we quote, uh, it's called The Primary Education Fetish. He says, these changes must come gradually. To force them unduly would compromise its final success by favoring a violent reaction. So the architects of the system always intended for the system to do what it's doing now, destroying our children mentally, physically, morally, emotionally. And if we want to fix the problem, just like in medicine, right? If you're a doctor, you want to treat a patient properly, you have to have an accurate diagnosis. And I don't believe we can have an accurate diagnosis about what has happened to our country, what has happened to our young people, if we don't understand the historical context. So that's why I wrote this book. I show now that the UN is working on globalizing the system. And, and I show that if we don't stop this, uh, I, I believe it is a foregone conclusion, Roger, that we're going to lose all these battles, you know, the border, the amnesty, the, the gun rights, the taxes. Uh, you know, right now, my generation, millennials, and, and maybe Troy is a millennial or maybe a, a generation under me, 
But right now, 70% of millennials say in scientific polls they're going to vote for socialism. Uh, less than half of millennials even identify as Christians. This is in a country where just two decades ago, 90 plus percent of Americans identified as Christians. So we have a, a catastrophe that's unfolding in slow motion. We must address it if we're going to save this country, if we're going to save our communities, and we're going to save our liberty. But Alex, uh, given the extraordinary strength of the teachers unions uh, and uh, the political dynamic, can the public schools be fixed? I mean, I'll just give you a perfect example. Uh, here in the state of Florida, where both of us live, uh, Governor DeSantis signed an executive order which theoretically prohibits the public schools from pushing critical race theory or any of these other gender lies. Sounds great. It's a great press release. But the truth is, the seven largest counties uh, in the state of Florida continue to push uh, a radical curriculum that is actually uh, proved by the ADL. Uh, Governor DeSantis has unfortunately been too busy in Iowa to actually enforce his executive order. He got his press release, he got his big splash, but it, it, is the answer not, uh, perhaps sadly, to pull your kids out of the public schools and to homeschool them because the system may be so far gone uh, that it is broken. Can't be fixed. I, I agree with you 100%, Roger. And that's actually how I conclude the book. The last chapter, I make the analogy, look, parents, the school building is on fire and your children are trapped inside. If you think the proper response to that is running for school board or, or writing a petition or lobbying your legislators, you obviously don't have kids. Right? If your children are trapped in a burning building, you grab them and you run as fast as your legs will carry you to safety. And then you wake the town. Uh, this is the situation we're in right now, except it's much worse than a fire. And I say, you know, a fire will hurt your children physically. You can typically recover from physical injuries and, and even worst case scenario, it's just physical damage. What the government schools are doing to our children. They are destroying them uh, physically. I mean, the kids are chopping off their private parts. They're getting hysterectomies, double mastectomies. Their boys are being castrated. I mean, this is unbelievable. So they're destroying them physically. They're destroying them mentally. You've got kids identifying as cats now. They don't know what bathroom to go in. Uh, the federal government's own data, Roger, shows that less than one third of the victims of this system are even proficient in English, math, reading, writing, science, civics, etc. So none of the things that parents think their children are learning are actually being learned. They're destroying them spiritually. They're telling them their life is no more important than the life of their pet goldfish. There is no meaning to life, uh, you know, nihilism, humanism. So uh, on every front, they're destroying the children. And absolutely. I mean, if you're a parent and you have children in the system, you must pull them out immediately. And so after making that argument that you've got to pull your children out, I closed the book with a very significant afterword. I look back at what did the education that shaped the founding generation look like? What has education looked like throughout Western history? What did we lose over the last hundred years when government took charge of education? And how can we get back to a real education? And so I show what the Bible teaches about education. I show what our founders believed about education. Because, you know, we don't need to rebuild what we had in the 17 and early 1800s, but we can learn a lot from what they did. And, and I argue that, you know, the, the poison fruit that is coming from the this system is poisonous because it came from a poison seed. And so when people tell me we have to reform the schools, we have to fix the schools, for me, that's like saying, you know, how do you reform your cancer? Well, I'm not interested in reforming my cancer. I'm interested in getting rid of the cancer because it's going to kill me otherwise. 
This is a, a life and death struggle. There are plenty of decent people still working within the system, but the system itself is rotten. The system is wicked. Uh, and, you know, I'm not opposed to people running for school board after they have their children out. There's, you know, billions of dollars at stake. This is a trillion dollar industry. It makes sense for patriots and, and God fearing people who love liberty to be involved in this process. But don't think you can reform the system. Don't keep sending your children thinking that if you get some porn books out with an executive order, suddenly it's safe. It is not safe. They're turning your children against you. Roger, let me give you a statistic from uh, the Nehemiah Institute, where I serve as an advisor. They've got data on the worldview of children. And what they're finding is that over 80% of Christian children from Christian homes who go through 12 years of government school will leave the faith and will leave the church. Uh, this is a catastrophe. We must remove our children. There are great uh, private schools. There are great homeschools. And when I started saying this 10 years ago, I, I did a previous book with Dr. Sam Blumenfeld, uh, Phyllis Schlafly was working with us, a lot of great Americans. Uh, I started making that argument. And a lot of people looked at me like, really? You know, we're never going to be able to get the kids out. But I'll tell you what, in recent years, the tide is changing. Uh, three times before he passed away, Rush Limbaugh urged his 18 million listeners to remove their children from public schools. Franklin Graham, uh, probably the most important living evangelical on the planet today, has urged parents to pull their children out of public schools in New Jersey and put them in a private school. Donald Trump has said multiple times now, the reason our cities are burning, the reason our infrastructure is crumbling is because they're indoctrinating and dumbing down our children. He says you must protect your children from the failing government schools. So we've got to do something different. We cannot uh, continue to feed our children into this system and parents or even grandparents. If you've got loved ones who are young in the system, do everything you can to pull them out and make sure they get a real education. Uh, Troy, do you have a, a question for Alex? Uh, yes, I do. Uh, if if we're looking at this, you know, and, and you, you, you obviously deal with a lot of this, you go out there, are people receptive to the idea of pulling their kids out of public school? Or is it or do they kind of fight it? And, and like, because I, I hear it in your voice, it sounds like parents are kind of like, well, if we just get the books out, if we just reform this aspect of it, maybe it'll be better. Yeah, that's a great question, Troy. And what I'm seeing is an incredible shift in public opinion now. Uh, you know, when I started warning people to get their children out 10 years ago, it was really like, oh, well, you know, I think I'll run for school board instead. Now the debate, especially among conservatives, even among Republicans, you see this in Republican legislatures all over the country. The debate has now shifted to how do we get the children out? What is the best way to get the children out? And so you have some states that are passing, you know, quote unquote, school choice things. I think there's, there's a danger with that, because once the government starts funding your private school or your homeschool, the government's going to want to control that. But I'm, I'm really happy to see the debate shifting from how do we fix the schools to how do we get the children out. That's a very encouraging thing. Uh, you know, you still get the resistance from people who are just really comfortable and don't want to see the problem. Say, well, you know, I'm unbrainwashing my children when they come home and we're having dinner. Um, I'm, unfortunately, that's not going to cut it. And so what I tell people is, yes, it will be a sacrifice to make sure your children get an education. I know it. I, I homeschool my five. We got one more on the way. Uh, you know, it, it, it's a big sacrifice to do that. But it is one of the best decisions you'll ever make in your life. And I guarantee you, if you're willing to set your priorities in order, right, instead of driving the brand new fancy car or living in the, the big house and having a ski resort home in Colorado, uh, if, you're, if you're willing to make the changes in your finances to prioritize what really matters, which is protecting your children, raising the next generation properly, you can do it. Uh, there are a lot of options out there for help. There are scholarship funds. There are uh, uh, scholarships at private schools, even single moms can do it. I know because I've seen it. So uh, yes, there's still some resistance out there, but I think it's rapidly dying. And one of the most encouraging things I've seen 
at all throughout the last few years, Troy, is millions of children have fled the system since COVID started. And I believe many millions more are going to be exiting the system in the next few years. All right. So let's put up uh, the cover of, uh, uh, of Alex's great book. And Alex, you can tell us uh, how, folks, there it is. Uh, you, you definitely want to get this book, Indoctrinating Our Children to Death, Governments, Schools, War on Faith, Family and Freedom, and How to Stop It. Uh, Alex, where can people go to order their copy? Uh, well, thank you, Roger. So easiest place, of course, is going to be Amazon. It'll come like the next day and, and there's no shipping costs if you have Prime. If you want a signed copy, you can get it from my bookstore at libertysentinel.org. Uh, unfortunately, I have to charge shipping because I don't own uh, Amazon uh, Prime trucks, but uh, I'll send you a signed copy that way. You can also get it at bookstores if you like. There's a lot of uh, smaller organizations that are carrying it. Easiest way is Amazon, signed copy at uh, at my website. And I uh, appreciate very much the kind words about it, Roger. We've got great Americans who have endorsed it. Uh, General Flynn, uh, of course, has endorsed it. We've got uh, Abraham Hamilton of uh, American Family Association. We've got uh, Pete Hegseth of Fox News, Josh Phillip of the Epic Times, Dr. Peter McCullough. So a lot of great Americans. Kirk Cameron, of course, is on the cover. Uh, a lot of Americans are, are lining up to support it. And uh, actually, it has a foreword by the Honorable Diane Douglas who was the superintendent of all the public schools in Arizona up until a few years ago. And so she has held every position of leadership within the system. She says it can't be reformed. Alex is right. So uh, I do hope people will get a copy. And I thank you so much for, for the kind words and for having me on the program today, Roger. All right, Alex Newman. Folks, you, I strongly suggest you go to libertysentinel.org and get it directly from Alex. Uh, first of all, you don't have to then give your money to a multinational corporation that hates your guts. Uh, and secondarily, you can get uh, a personally signed copy. Alex Newman, thank you so much for joining us right here in the Stone Zone. Thank you, Roger. God bless. Uh, all right, uh, folks. Uh, speaking of uh, shameless commercial pitches, I must make one myself. Uh, if you're interested in history uh, or politics or, or news, uh, then my New York Times best-selling book, The Man Who Killed Kennedy, The Case Against LBJ, well, Oliver Stone told me this was the single best book he's read on the Kennedy assassination. Also told me he was sorry he hadn't read it before he made his epic documentary, JFK. You can get your copy uh, of The Man Who Killed Kennedy, uh, this New York Times best-selling book, by going to uh, manwhokilledkennedy.com. Themanwhokilledkennedy.com. There you see it themankillkennedy.com. Once again, you'll get a personally autographed copy. Let's throw up the copy of the book. Uh, I designed this personally. I'm very proud of it. Uh, I took this book, uh, Troy, to six different publishers, all of whom reject it, saying it would never, ever be uh, commercially successful. In this book, I use eyewitness evidence, uh, fingerprint evidence, uh, and a lot of deep Texas politics to make the compelling case uh, that it was Lyndon Johnson who helmed a plot that included the Secret Service, the Central Intelligence Agency, uh, the FBI, organized crime, that's uh, the mob, uh, as well as uh, big Texas oil uh, and the Wall Street banking interests, all of whom had their individual reasons uh, to uh, murder President John F. Kennedy. Uh, I was very privileged to visit Tulsa recently, where um, Sheridan Church uh, had a terrific book event uh, where I made an hour presentation 
uh, and then answered questions about the Kennedy assassination uh, for an hour. We're going to have that video up at Rumble shortly. Uh, if you couldn't be there yourself, and it was a sellout, 500 people bought tickets. It was a great, great event, to which I'm very grateful to Pastor Jackson Lawmeyer. Uh, well, you're going to be able to see that entire two-hour video uh, later today on Rumble. Speaking of Rumble, we ask you to follow us there. Uh, at Rumble, we are rumble.com slash Roger Stone, rumble.com slash Roger Stone. You can see the Stone Zone there every single day. Uh, we also put up uh, other videos that you may, may find extraordinarily interested. So please uh, take a moment to go to rumble.com slash Roger Stone uh, and follow us there. We will be very grateful. All right, returning again uh, with Troy Smith, the uh, editor-at-large at Rare.us for our uh, continued political discussion. Um, here's uh, Nikki Haley actually supporting the border deal that would allow millions of illegals uh, to pour into the country, 1.8 to be specific, so it's not a border closing deal. It's a open borders deal. Uh, but tucked in there, of course, is billions more, $62 billion to be exact, uh, for the failing war in Ukraine. Let's uh, roll that. Are you saying that the former president is playing politics with the border? Well, I think nobody should be playing politics with the border. First of all, he shouldn't be getting involved telling Republicans that wait until the election because we don't want this to help Biden win. We can't wait one more day. You have millions of people who've come to that border. They are not being vetted. America's acting like it's September 10th. We better remember what September 12th felt like because it only takes one. This is not a time to play politics. Is he? What I do think is they need to get something out. Of course he is. He's absolutely playing politics by telling them not to do anything. Uh, again, uh, it's all about definitions. Let's be very clear. He's not playing politics. He's saying passing this will change nothing whatsoever. It's a bad bill. I will fix this when I'm elected. We don't need a new bill. We don't need a new law. All we need to do uh, is enforce the laws that we have now. But Nikki Haley um, is, I think, uh, Vivek Ramaswamy summed this up. She, she's a puppet. Uh, she's a pawn in a much larger game. Her money's coming from people like Reed Hoffman. Uh, this is the uh, LinkedIn uh, billionaire who funded the E. Jean Carroll defamation case, which is a fraud. By the way, I encourage E. Jean Carroll to keep giving interviews because the yeah. more she talks, the more people see how outrageous these verdicts uh, in New York are. I mean, the woman has a long history of accusing men in her life uh, some who she had peripheral contact with of rape. So it appears to be a pattern. Uh, e. Jean Carroll, big supporter of left-wing causes, uh, Joe Biden among them, uh, is a, a strangely enough a major donor to super PACs supporting Nikki Haley. Uh, how about that? Now, speaking of endorsements, John Bolton, of all people, the original war monger himself, yesterday uh, endorsed uh, Nikki Haley. Uh, it's really, it's quite extraordinary how tone deaf Nikki Haley and her campaign can be. 
about the sentiments at the grassroots of the Republican Party. Unless, of course, she's not in this race to win. She's in this race simply in an attempt to damage Donald Trump, which is my theory. Well, exactly, Roger. And I think it's, uh, I think, you know, it's so interesting to me to watch MSNBC and to watch NBC cover Nikki Haley in such a positive light. And when you see that, they say, well, Nikki Haley, you know, this Republican, or they talk about Senator Lankford, who we're going to get back into just a second here um, with this bill, you know, they, they call these people conservative and they say they're conservative. And I think the, the revolution in thought that's come from the Trump movement is, is the recognition that these people, the McConnells of the world, the Lankfords of the world, these people are not conservative. They're not Republican. They don't have values even really. They really just exist to sell out to the Democrats and to let them get away with any, anything and everything that they want. That's why the country's been in such a bad situation for the last, I don't know, 40, 50 years. It's been a just downward trend because the Democrats have their way with literally everything that they want. And I want to get back into this, Roger, because I think this is important. Uh, Langford, I, I hear, has prospects uh, that he wants to run for governor and replace the current uh, governor of Oklahoma. I'd love to hear your thoughts on that, because uh, this guy, I, it would appear to me that putting forth a bill like this, where the only supporter of the bill is Nikki Haley, and then saying, yeah, I'm going to vote against it, even having McConnell come out against it now, um, it would seem to me that that's going to do a serious hit on his political career. I'm interested to see how you think that's going to play out. Uh, excellent question, and it's a good place to, to wrap up the show today. So it, it is an absolutely open secret back in Oklahoma uh, that James Langford realizes that with the prospect of Donald Trump, who he has attacked throughout his career, uh, becoming president, that perhaps um, he would uh, have more power uh, as governor of Oklahoma. Uh, the current governor of Oklahoma, Kevin Stitt, who's been a pretty good governor, is pretty conservative, I think made an egregious error by supporting Ron DeSantis for, gov for president. Uh, that after Trump uh, uh, acceded to Stitt's uh, request for an endorsement because the uh, casino-funded uh, Indian tribes of Oklahoma heavily supported Stitt's Democratic opponent, despite the fact that it is a burgundy red state, Stitt found himself in a, an extremely competitive race. Uh, Oklahoma is a state in which Donald Trump is the only presidential candidate in the history of the state to carry all 77 counties. Trump is extraordinarily popular in Oklahoma. He's particularly popular among Republicans, as you might expect. So Trump endorsed Stitt, uh, and uh, his payback for that uh, was Stitt's surprise endorsement uh, of the hapless loser, Ron DeSantis. Now, if you haven't noticed this, Ron DeSantis has begun his rehabil rehabilitation tour. Uh, suddenly, he's speaking out on numerous federal issues, uh, term limits being a perfect example, uh, which is fine, uh, except for he's the governor of Florida, uh, and we have an insurance crisis in this country. I actually saw somebody say on Twitter the other day on X, Florida has among the lowest insurance rates in the country. No, it doesn't. Uh, in fact, the state insurance uh, company, Citizens, is insolvent. That's a dirty little secret. Uh, the governor's been hiding. We also have a utility rate uh, crisis in the state. But Ron DeSantis is suddenly now 
begun his rehabilitation tour. Uh, he's clearly back to funding uh, this uh, character, Brendan Leslie, at the Florida News. Uh, and the governor needs to stick to his knitting. We need somebody to serve as governor of Florida, a job in which he's been MIA. And anyway, to go back to your question, so it was thought that Langford would run for Stitt's seat uh, as governor, uh, and Stitt uh, would then, uh, after the election, but before uh, leaving office, uh, either appoint himself to the vacant Senate seat upon Langford's resignation, or perhaps uh, resign so that the lieutenant governor could then appoint Stitt uh, to the balance of Langford's term. Uh, voters traditionally hate this. They hate it. They like to make decisions themselves. But more importantly, I would predict to you, James Langford will not run for governor because he does not want to subject himself to public scrutiny or any questions from the media, which in Oklahoma is unlikely because the major mainstream media is totally in the establishment pocket. Uh, but he doesn't want to face voters. He'd have to actually go out and meet voters, something he didn't do in his Senate re-election. He had two or three campaign events. He brought in Senator Tim Scott in a, in a, a closed-door uh, event, closed to the media, ticketed event. Uh, he would never subject himself to the rigors of a campaign for governor. In a campaign for governor, you actually have to answer questions from voters. You actually have to attend public events and mix with those little people, those grubby average people that, frankly, I think James Lankford, who is very much an elitist, looks down on. Also, uh, in all honesty, there'd be a lot of discussion of James Lankford's massive ranch in Texas and the fact that he's a Texan educated and born in Texas. Uh, <laughs> Oklahomans would like a governor who actually lives in the state, but James Langford lives in Texas. I've got some aerial photos of his massive ranch there. I believe he's a he's an Aggie. I think he's a graduate of the University of Texas. I'd have to look that up. So I think that is unlikely. Uh, I, I don't see any of that happen. I actually think James Langford is now going to end up retiring because my guess is Pastor Jackson Lawmeyer, who although underfunded, ran an extraordinarily vigorous race against Langford with the support of General Michael Flynn, with the support of Mayor Giuliani, uh, and keeping President Trump neutral in that race, um, is probably going to run for the Senate again. And this time, uh, he will be proven right. He's now on the I told you so tour uh, when it comes to Rhino James Langford. All right, we are unfortunately out of time here. I want to thank uh, my good friend uh, and co-host, Troy Smith of Rare.us, where he's the editor-in-chief. I am, of course, Roger Stone. Please go to StoneZone.com, StoneZone.com, uh, and subscribe today. It's absolutely free. Uh, and uh, one final thought, you can go by MyPillow, who sponsors this show, uh, and when you do, use promo code STONE, promo code STONE. Many great products there. You'll be helping that great patriot, Mike Lindell, You'll be helping us here at the Stone Zone. Okay, until tomorrow, God bless you and Godspeed.